Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Comic School. Really glad you could join us. I am, as you all know, very excitable, but I am also very excited to have two of the most dopest folks in the game with us today. Let me just give you a little introduction here. Um, we have Stacy Robinson and Alvern Ball. Stacy Robinson. Is, a, is an assistant professor of graphic design at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and as a part of the collaborative team Black Kirby with artist John Jennings, Robinson creates graphic novels, gallery exhibitions, lectures, workshops that use strategies to imagine new worlds inspired by design, hip-hop, arts, sciences, and the diasporic African belief systems. Also, a amazing dj and check out for the podcast that's coming up soon um <laughs> stacy robinson's fresh to death uh and then we got on top of that like that would be enough to fill up a whole hour but no this is a special giant size because we got alvern ball here as well as an mfa in fiction writing for columbia college chicago my wife's hometown um and if it weren't for Pittsburgh, probably be because I was born in Pittsburgh. But if it weren't for Pittsburgh, probably my favorite city. I'm just going to say that. Okay. Um, he's the recipient of the 2014 and 2015 Glyph Rising Star Awards for his writing on One Nation, Old Druids. In 2009, received his, the first ever Luminarts Graphic Novel Writing Award. Folks, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know that you just got. The, the joint just dropped across the tracks from Megascope. Um, and I'll just give a little blur for uh, across the tracks. Across the tracks introduces audiences to the business and townsfolk who flourished in an unprecedented time of prosperity for black Americans. It's uh, Black Wall Street. We learn about Greenwood, why it's essential to remember the great achievements of the community, as well as the tragedy that nearly erased it. However, Ball is careful to recount the eventual recovery of Greenwood with additional supplementary materials, including preface, timeline, historical essay. And y'all, um, this offers a thorough examination of the rise, fall, and rebirth of Black Wall Street across the tracks. Yeah, I got a chance to I got a chance to look at mine and um it's amazing. So thank y'all first of all for the work. That's a big introduction. Thank y'all for joining me. We like to start off as every good superhero story starts off with an origin story. So we're gonna kick it off like this. How did y'all get into comics? And the, you know, you, you DC, you an image, you a you old Robert Crumb fan from from back in the day. Like what what got you? What brought you to comics? Because you're still doing it. Oh, so 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 yeah. how did how did that start? Uh, first of all, I thought you were going to say in a world. <laughs> I can in a world. There you go. I did it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me tell you, my, 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 I, I want to say. Um, I think my connection first started with animation, actually. I wanted to, before I wanted to draw comics, my earliest memories are me drawing, when I was little, my earliest memory, as far back as I can think, was me drawing uh, superheroes, right? But I grew up, my, the first seven years of my life, I grew up with my great-grandmother, and she always had a pad and a pencil, 
available for me to draw. Every morning I would get up and I would draw Superman. I remember that. That's my earliest memories. But then I would go sit down and I would um, watch animation. So this is back in the the 70s. And I'm talking about um, like Filmation, um, like Tarzan, um, Super Stretch and Micro Woman. Old school. I was born in 72. I'll be 50 next year, right? I grew up on the classics. I grew up on, on some classics. But I would study the animation frame by frame, even as a child. I was I would look at that frame by frame. I was studying that. So it wasn't until years later where my uncle introduced me to comics. And he gave me my first comics. Uh, shouts out to Valiant Robinson. Um, gave me my first comics. And I fell in love with them. And, you know, just like any... You know, um, and I lived with him for a year as well. So mm-hmm. I, you know, he's five years older than me. I live with him and I, 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 you know, I read all of his comic books and he was a Marvel dude. He was not, he still is not really a DC cat. Like he, you know, it was Marvel. So I became a Marvel dude because he was a Marvel dude. Um, but then he collected those. Remember those big treasury edition books where they would have the Marvel DC crossovers like yes. Spider-Man and Superman versus who was a Parasite and Dr. Doom. I think it was. That's right. That's right. Like, so um, I was reading those back in the day, too. So that was um, those were some of my first introductions to comics. But I really came in through animation, you know, which is kind of a deferred dream that I'm just getting back into. <laughs> Like right now, I used to make flip books back in the day with old dictionaries. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Albert, how about you? Um, I guess I was in some ways always in the comics. I just didn't know it. You know, mm-hmm. like when you think about like the, the X-Men cartoons that played in the 90s, you know, I remember just watching all that. But I was like, Stacy, I think I came into comics in, in kind of the same way um, through animation and not just like any superhero i think it was just like i loved tom and jerry and mighty mighty mouse and like just any cartoon but um what got me in comics was in high school um i went into a toys r us and um i came across this action figure or this 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 um this spawn todd mcfarland's spawn it was uh i don't know what figure it was but um i I saw this figure in a toy in toy store and i would go Oh my God, it's everything I've always thought about making as a toy. I used to want to make toys for some reason. And, uh, I was like, Oh my God, who, who made this toy? Because it's exactly what I've always wanted to do. You know, I always wanted to do something a little bit more adult, a little more, I guess, scary. I was never into horror, but it was the idea of it. Um, and I flipped it over and on the back it said, um, it was like, um, um, read the comic or, you know, this character comes from this issue right. of spawn and i was like wait there's a comic book with this character with all this gory <laughs> craziness in it and um and i went to this like this prestigious high school and and um at, at, the, at one point in chicago and right down the street from it um was this comic book shop and so one day i decided not to get on the bus and go home and i was like i'm gonna walk <laughs> into this and i walked into this comic shop and um the guy there was rude and he didn't talk to me so i was like okay there's another one a little further down, like a mile or two down the road. I'm going to go to that one. And I walked in and it was called Chicago Comics. And um, it was owned by these two brothers. And I walked in and I was like, hey, 
I'm looking for this book called Spawn. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, let me show it to you. And he goes, he starts showing me Spawn. He goes, and there's these other comic books. And one of them was Batman and some other stuff. And I was like, I just instantly fell in love. Yep. I bought like, uh, I think I probably bought <laughs> so many books that day. And, um, and, and I kind of went home and uh, and just tore through them. And I, and I thought, oh, my God, I, I love all these stories. Like, people are making these stories. How did I not know about these things? And then um, I started secretly reading comics. Because in my neighborhood, um, <laughs> in a very rough neighborhood, and I was like, I don't think my friends got to see me buying comic books. <laughs> listen, like, that's, that's, that's a word because... Kids, I'm gonna sound a million years old, but kids these days, it's okay for them to to be to be like out and about with the comic books, right? Me, I had to like kind of surreptitiously, you know, do it on the, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I had the high mind and the ceiling of my grandma's basement. <laughs> <laughs> so going like, to the first like a year, I had to lie to my friends that I was going off to do other things. <laughs> Right, we'd yeah, be at, really be at soccer comic. practice and be like, what's in the bag? I was like, it's not Spider-Man. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that, what I'm saying is the kids, the kids they, don't, they don't know the struggles that we had to yeah. go through. So you're welcome, children. Um, yeah, it's cool to be a, yeah, I mean, even now, right, it's cool to be a black geek or a black nerd. Right. Like, you know, my son is, is living it right now. Like, he's, he, my son is 22 years old. He's living a lifestyle that I lived when I was his age, but I had to work. Like, in the COVID era, he gets to stay home. He's coloring comics for a living. A phenomenally talented colorist, might I add. Killing it. Yeah. He's making money, or he's just stacking bread, like, coloring comics. (laughs) You know? I'm like, like, like... Stacking bread for comics. Wow. Oh, I mean, well, because dad is paying the bills. (laughs) The idea of, like, Probably creators making money. Wait, what? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, but that's that's the life we live. That's the life we're living right now, man. I mean, imagine, like, we, my my job right now is to, like, make comics, teach comics, graphic design, and, and burgeoning into animation. That is my job. Like, my right. job is to be right. Joe on the road making comics and lecturing about them. Like, yep. wait, what? <laughs> like, this is it's, my. Sometimes I'm like, this is my life. <laughs> like, it's amazing. It, it's yeah. it's wonderful, and 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 I am so glad that y'all are out there doing it. And and this is the reason because, um, the book that just dropped is phenomenal. Let me just let me just I want to I want to just just glow this piece up as much as I can, um, because I love that it comes from. You know, I'm hearing as I'm hearing your stories, it comes from that spirit that's been there the whole time. Like, oh, yeah. stop. It takes a certain kind of it takes a certain kind of kid to stop and study animation frame by frame to attend to the page. It takes a certain kind of kid to be like, I got to find my spot. When I find my spot, I'm going to devour, as you said, these stories. I'm gonna, so we still got that yeah. today. Massive. Right. So yeah. you've been here. You, yeah. you, th- this is a lifelong thing come to fruition, and it's beautiful because it also is born out of the 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 urgency of now. It, it's the only way. Is the only way I can right, put it. Right. Is 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 this story is not a new story. The no, book is new, is... but it's not. It, there's an urgency to it, and I and and, yeah. and I wanted to get uh, to to ask you about. Yeah what the process was like for this because a lot of people the first time that they had heard about Tulsa was from Watchmen 
Right, I was gonna say, but like from, from like last country. year, two years ago, yeah, yeah, Florida doesn't mean anything. I've been in my basement country. for a year, so yep. like I don't even know. But but recently, like it's yep. a relatively recently, and people kind of, uh, Alvern, like you were talking about, they were like, "How did I never? What? How did I not know?" And and so you, and so here comes here comes your graphic novel that's telling us telling a story, but it's telling it in a, in a different way. Can you tell a little bit about the collaborative process? How y'all kind of came to tell this story in this way? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess it's serendipitous. I always talk about um, yes. that one thing um, of, of emailing John and, and then him emailing me back going, because I emailed him saying, look, I wrote this TV show about, you know, this thing in Greenwood and everything. And then he goes, that's funny. You, you're talking about doing this graphic novel. You want to do this comic because Stacy just called me about this thing. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah. He goes, this thing goes serendipitous that both of you are talking, literally talking about the same thing, you know, doing a comic, a graphic novel, something on this, this historical moment. And, and at one point he goes, you know, um, would you be interested in working on this? And I was like, what? And he goes, you know, writing this thing. I'm like, yeah. He goes, you technically already wrote it, right? I'm like, I, I guess I have. It's a different story. Right. But, yeah. right. And then um, at one point, um, it just was this thing where, you know, it was it was pitching the idea to the editors and coming back and revamping it um, based off notes that were coming in. And then at one point, um, John goes, yeah, um, Stacy, Stacy Roberts, you know, Stacey Roberts? I'm like, now I've heard the name, but I don't know. He was like, he's going to be working on the book. And I was like, okay, I, I don't know what that means. And, and, <laughs> and literally within a week, it was just like, Stacy's on the book. You're writing the book. We're doing this. And I was like, oh, it, 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 it happens like that? Because I've been doing comics all my life. And, you know, sometimes it don't happen like that. I was just like, oh, it's going to happen like this. Okay. Um, so Yo, when, but when, when I, John Jennings is driving a car, it happens that way. <laughs> Shout out to friend of the podcast, John Jennings. You better Yo. don't get ready. Be ready. Be That's ready. all I know. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, it was just one of those things. It just ha- it kind of happened organically. And mm. then um, mm. once the script was done, um, me and Stacy, like, John was getting, he was, like, introducing me and Stacy. And then one day, I remember I was going out to buy some computer or something. And Stacy calling me, goes, I just, I got the script. I read it. And I'm, I'm on it. I'm hot. I want to do this. I got to do this. He was like, I'm drawing already. And I'm like, what? What? I just turned that around. Like, I literally just turned it. So I'm like, I didn't even know it was approved. The <laughs> email just perfect. went push. It just went push. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, I'm on it. Let's go. Yeah. Yes. So let me tell that from my perspective. Right? Oh, please. please. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So Alvern and I, like, we've been hitting the road. I think we got, um, yeah, we got another, we got to do this again later on because <laughs> we got another a gig lined up. We got to talk about the book later. But I think this is what our third or fourth time, like, like, like talking about the book, and we learn more about each other doing yeah. this than we did in working on the book. It's crazy. But here's the thing: I, I remember talking to John about this, and he had other artists lined up for the book because he understands, um, you know, we're we're both professors. We both, you know, I got to get tenure. John is a full professor. Like, there's a whole process. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to pull back from working on projects. But then um, he's telling me about this book. He's telling me about Al Verne's book. And he's telling me, he's like, yeah, I'm thinking about putting this person on this book or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, yo, I want that book. <laughs> he's like, you want it? He's like, if you want it, you can have it. I'm like, yo, that's my research because my research deals with black liberated spaces, right? And, and where, is, where are black people at anywhere in the world? 
And, and, you know, the only place I found that black people are free at anywhere in the world where black people are liberated is inside the decolonized black imagination. Right. So my work looks at, at places like, um, outcast Stankonia, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's, uh, mountaintop in the promised land. Um, you know, the 12th of Never by, you know, Johnny Mathis and Earth, Wind and Fire, like all of these places. Right. But it also looks and it looks at Wakanda as well. Right. But it also looks at our real Wakandas. Or I'll put air quotes on the sure. word real. And Tulsa, you know, like uh, Greenwood, the district of Greenwood is one of those. Right. So it falls right in line with my research. The centennial is coming up on March 31st. I mean, pardon me, May 31st of this month. And the book dropped on time. And I knew that if I got this this book, it was going to happen because I was not going to drop this ball, you know, in history. Right. So saying all that to say, like, I was amped to work on it. And let me tell you, Albert, it moves forward so fast because we literally we were waiting on I was waiting on the approval of the book. Right. Once the script was approved, I had to hurry up and get it out because literally, yo, let me tell you. We, I think I finished, I had to finish that book in less than two months. So you're looking at 50 pages of illustration that was done in like less than two months. It was, it was a wild, wild ride, but I knew I was going to make that happen with, in reference to the deadline, right? Because we cannot, we have to, this is the only graphic novel that we've seen so far that's dropping this year on the Tulsa Race Massacre and the Rebuild. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's about God. It's about the just the pressure of the ancestors. Like when no. I was thinking about the like everything, the people and stuff that have come before this, and that pressure. Me and Stacy talked about us and, and John when the when we did the original idea and talking like no matter what. Um, when we, they came back and gave us notes and it was like okay, the pictures changed. One thing we all I think agreed upon was that no matter what. This has to be. It had to be done because it yeah. was. A, it, it just felt like there was. There was this. The spiritual pressure, if you want to call it that, yeah. that was saying, "Look, mm-hmm. you guys cannot. We cannot miss this shot to to oh. to not only show this part of African American history, but of American history, and to show the world this 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 story that nobody knew about. You know, or or, or as you said, only heard about in 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 this one episode of Watchmen or whatever. And so it became this thing where for us it was just like. Man, they were like, it, it, we knew that we had that we were we had things on our shoulders, you know, that we were carrying a lot of history. But we also knew what our mission was, and we knew we couldn't. We were the A team. We had to hit it, you know. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got, yeah. I got this. I got the Spidey sense right. going right now because. Oh, okay, for those of y'all, for those of y'all listening and and are hearing like, whoa, fifty pages. Like, you don't just wake up. And, and and be ready to do 50 pages that's a lifetime of work you don't no. just wake up and 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 crank out a script that's a lifetime of work right and so that's what i think is so meaningful about uh, one of the re- one of the meaningful things about this piece is it is the mo- the moment and and y'all as you said are the a team ready for the moment cuz you've been at this for the whole life it's that it's that um it's that andy and caster that that um cassie and andor meme i've been in this fight since i was six years old right like yeah. it's 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 a moment whose time has come 
and y'all are are there and i i appreciate that because there is a responsibility i think when you're telling these stories to make sure and I, and I don't want to say told right, but told responsibly and told well. Yeah, you know what I'm, yeah. you know what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. And so yeah. it's one thing for like a textbook company to like ride the wave, right? It was like, oh, okay, well, we'll just jump in and we'll just like do a Wikipedia search real quick. But that's not right. this, right? Not and it's also that. one of the things I love about uh, and Alvar, maybe you could talk about this, and Stacy could talk about this. Is it's not a story of 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 destruction. It's it's a story of life. Does, does, yes. does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's you not, get it. It's, it's it. not. I'm trying to articulate it, but it. Yeah, that's why the book is so okay. Too. But but yeah. but that's what I want to talk about is how how did y'all tap? Like you tapped into that, and it it, yeah. it blooms and blossoms off the page. There's a yeah. spiritual pressure, but y'all, there's a spiritual presence here, and I appreciate oh, that out of that. So, can you talk a little bit about the the necessity of? You know, when, when people see Black Wall Street, you know, maybe they just see it. They, they heard about it, you know, tertiary. Uh, it, it's just a lot of death and destruction. But but that's not Greenwood. And that's not the story. That's not the only part of the story to tell. How did you all approach telling the holistic story? Oh, you want me to go first? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a long question. All right, so let me let me let me put Alvern, let me put this out there, right? This is not the first, this was not Alvern's original story. This is like this is a compromise between Abrams and, and Alvern in reference to this story, right? Okay. So I, I personally I want to see that first story that he wrote because I loved that story. I, I think so that wait, are you saying release the Alvern cut? Are you calling for release? No, yo, I'm calling for the Alvern cut. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. Abrams, what up? What up? You need the Alvern cut of this, right? That first story was bananas. Oh my goodness. That's the story I wanted to draw, right? So here's the thing, right? In publishing, there's always a compromise, right? Like, you know, real talk, you know, for those listening, uh, there's a sales team, there's an editorial team. You got to please all people, right? So you, you figure out the best ways to do that while keeping the integrity of the story. Me, me, my, me, myself personally. I love to say that's three of the same. I love me, it. Myself, I love personally. it. Three people up in here. It's, it's the it's the Trinity right there. I love so, it. Right, absolutely. <laughs> so when it came to um, illustrating this book, um, there were choices that were made, and I you know, to speak to the life of the book, right? So the the when you look at the book, the the colors are super vibrant. Almost like like you were looking at a children's book, and that was intentional. I wanted to kind of age the book down so that educators, teachers, parents could read this to their children and and their students and be able to unpack this very deep, complex history, right? But at the same time, I wanted to just to to celebrate the black opulence of this moment of this you're going to see what was actually destroyed so you know some of the pushback that came you know was well why isn't it sepia toned and i'm like you know well our history didn't happen in sepia tone you need to get this opulence it did not happen in black and white you need to get this right but it also hey. connects the audience to what is happening right now because i drew this in the summer of 2020 
So think about what was happening in, in the year, of, in the summer of 2020. I'm in the house. I'm not out protesting. I am behind this desk drawing the, the Tulsa race massacre, Greenwood, Black Wall Street, and the rebuild, right? You are going to get this black opulence. This opulence that's happening right out there um, that is being painted in the streets, uh, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter's way and, you know, Black Lives Matter being played, played, um, you know, painted in the streets. Mm-hmm. You're going to get that black opulence that happened at the centennial, right? Because we're approaching the centennial. This was a full colorful opulence 100 years ago as well. So that was a choice. But here's the thing. Also about life, you don't see one muzzle flare and in, in there's, you know, in the book. Oh, there's a lot of gunfire. Like I show black people were defending themselves. It was popping off, right? Um, these were not passive black people that just sat back and, 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 and let racism, white supremacy win. No, they fought back. You see that in the book. But I made a choice not to show one muzzle flare. And that was because I wanted to. It was a, it was an artistic choice so that the book could have more life in Walmart, Target, the libraries, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it almost kind of rides in a subverted type of way where it becomes, um, wait, you see this violence, but you don't see the, the trauma porn. Right. And that was a thing we were not going to do with right. this book. This was not going to be. So for me, I was this is like the what I went from uh, color assistant on Kendrick. No, no. Pardon me. The listen to this now. The prison industrial <laughs> complex for beginners. John and I worked on that book. Then we worked on Kendrick, the graphic novel. I was a color assistant on that book. Then I am Alfonso Jones. Shouts out to Liam Lowe. Shouts out. to Amazing. Uh, shouts out to, to Tony Medina, the writer on that book, right? Um, and, and then went from the, I am Alfonso Jones to, um, did I work on parables? No, I didn't work on parables, but, uh, or the sword my son did. And then working on this book. So literally, um, this is like the fourth or fifth book in a row that deals with black death and destruction. there are points in the book where I got to pull out the black joy and you will see that too. Like there's some whimsy in the way that I draw the characters as well. That's an artistic choice. Some folks will like that. Some won't, but there, there are choices in there that I wanted to celebrate in reference to Alvern's story. But at the same time, I was not going to, I did not want to make a book that was going to bring people back into like feeling victimized again as well. You know, got some pushback, you know, man, I want to see the death and destruction like y'all played this down. But then I also like wanted to celebrate this in a particular way. We'll see how the audience like history, the ancestors will let me know if I did a good job. The history will let me know, you know, the descendants will let me know if I did a good job. But um, my goal was to to do the best job I could in representing the past, present, and the future. And I'm done talking. Um, (laughs) I talked a lot on that. (laughs) Sorry about that. No, okay, but let me ask you this. Okay, so one of the things I love about comics and one of the things I love about this conversation is that it it is by necessity collaborative. Like, you maybe got an auteur every once in a while who's like written, conceived, directed, print, published, edited, lettered, all that stuff by, Mm -hmm. you know, Steve, 
and respect right. to that. But by and large, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a collaborative medium, yes. right? And so it talking about choices, mm-hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot, Alvern. Uh, how, how does one go about making those, those choices? Cause now I want to see the original cut. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, Cause Ooh. I kind of got the back, I kind of got the back end and, and, you know, I was on some phone calls too back. about like, what's this going to look like? How's it going to be? How did you go about making the choices of what, sh- of, of, of finding those, I'm going to call them inflection points. Like folks got to get, as, as, as Stacy said, they got to get this opulence, but they also got to get the importance. The signi- yeah. They got to get the significance. They got to get the opulence and, and both yeah. of which matter. So can you talk a little yeah. bit about picking out those story beats about how, how you approach telling that story? Yeah, for me. Um, so I always tell people, um, I'm like Ray Charles when it comes to story and, and the idea <laughs> that, um, you know, Ray Charles can hear something. He can make himself sound like anybody. Um, so for me, it's um, story comes to me naturally in a way that I don't think it comes to everybody else. I, I see, I see story like Ray Charles. Heard music, you okay. Know? So he hears music is the way I see story. Normally story for me, it starts with a word and that word builds out into these worlds and these characters. So when, um, when approaching across the tracks, the biggest thing I, the first thing that came to me was, um, um, was the idea of who are the people that lived in this town? You know, we always talk about the death and destruction because, you know, Mm. that's the, in some ways I hate to say Mm. that's the exciting action parts of the, but you know, um, I always wanted to know who were the people behind the city. I remember at one point, um, one of the notes that I think we, early on received was um what what were the businesses and 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 they just hit me i was like wait so we're going to talk about a stone or a a structure we're not going to talk about no no, we got to talk about we got to talk about that we got to talk about the capital part right right right. so i was like okay well if i'm going to do that i'm going to talk about the people behind those structures that's it actually you know that built that built the town and then for me, um, how it came into the story beach, it just became this natural thing where, um, as I started to write, um, this thing or rewrite this thing from the, from the Alvern cut, um, it, those natural beats just started. They just, they were just there. It was like, you just looked at history and you could find them if you dug a little deeper, um, into who and into the, into the people of this town. And so the beach just started happening naturally. And for me, I think, it, um, it was also one of those things where um, there's that one page in 1919, all these American soldiers, you know, from World War One, come back to, to their town. And in the original, as Stacy knows, there was a whole thing about the soldier um, coming back to town and, and kind of seeing the world in a different light. And for me, that story that is became, crazy. That's the right. story. <laughs> no, you, no. Know some, you know, some Internet sleuths are going to be out there right now trying to be like, you know, um, yeah. Thing. yeah. So for me, it became this thing of um, talking about the black experience, but also saying, and as Stacy said, showing his variance, and not only in tone and color of people, but in everything that Greenwood stood for. And the idea was the show on the page, even in the script, and I think Stacy nailed it, was that the show that the black experience wasn't just this one experience; that it, it was a culmination of different experiences that make the black experience Ooh. which then when you really think about it is the american experience you know when you look at all those characters or although i don't mean call them characters but all those people that created greenwood that's the that's the great american story pulling yourself up by the bootstraps you know being this you know coming from being the underdog to being 
the top dog, you know. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, they, you know, they may not have controlled, um, you know, may not have controlled the opulence of, 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 of American currency or, you know, had the government official title. But in Greenwood, when you look at all these, these great families and all these great people, they were the, they were the power, you know, they were the, you know, the, the 1% in, in so many ways, but it wasn't that they were holding it to be the 1%. They were the 1% who were giving back to the, to the no percent to make everybody the 1%, you know? Um, so I hope I answered your question. No, no, that's that. No, I, I look like, and, and this is good. This is great content for audio podcasts. I'm, I'm look like I'm planning a heist here. I'm going to take all these, <laughs> take all these notes. Um, because one of the things I think that's really important is this. And, and maybe I'll ask, I'll ask you this question since, since I'm supposed to interview and not, not pop off, but like when and how and who is quote American is we're talking about it, right? today whatever today you uh, whatever today is that you downloaded this episode of the podcast we're still talking about it mm-hmm. right whether it's the 1619 project you know and i'm in education so i'm talking about the 1619 project the 17 oh the 1776 right you know talking about you know and i study critical race like i study critical race theory like this is a whole thing that people are talking about and y'all are in the mix it, right there Yep. And I appreciate that because one of the things you talked about is that it developed organically. It is serendipitous, yep. but it developed organically. And and and, yeah, yeah. and we think about, I think, when we tell these stories, a series of events, right? Like that that the history of like great great person, great event, or bad person, bad event, and whatever. What you just said, man, just really resonated with me because it's a community. It's not one series of things. It's people mm-hmm. working together for com- for communal uplift that makes that makes it, right? Mm-hmm. And and I wanted to talk a little bit. Is this, Stacey, you mentioned this notion of black liberated space. And, and I know you're, we, we talked about Afrofuturism quite a bit in the past, but like, this is not and you kind of you kind of mentioned this, but th- this takes place in the past, right? But it also points to me. It points toward yeah. Well, Can you I talk mean, a little bit about about yeah. why uh, why do we need to? Okay, let me ask the story from. Let me pretend I'm an eighth grader. Let me pretend I'm my own self in eighth grade. Why do we got to know this old story? Discuss. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Discuss. Well, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right. Um, and as cliche as it might sound, it's very, very true, right? If you do not know your past, how do you know where you're going, right? Um, absolutely, absolutely. And, and actually, I'm listening to a master class. Shouts out to N.K. Jemison. I'm listening to her master class right now. And she, ju- she just said this. I just listened to a part where she said that. Um, and it's very, very true. She talked about how she was a voracious reader growing up, and her parents made sure that she knew her history. But she loved sci-fi because it showed her she had her past, but sci-fi showed her where she was going. I can't say it any better than that. Shouts out to N.K. Jemison, right? Here's the thing. Um, I believe in the concept, the Ghanaian concept of Sankofa. As we are going into the future, we go back and we, we retrieve our past, right? Um, and so much of my work is about that. So for me, the future is our past, right? That's, that's the, the, I believe that 
Um, I believe that the way that I theorize time travel is, I'm not, and I'm not making it up. It's not. It's the way that I think about it. But I'm not the first person to think about it. It's African and ancestral, where where time travel um, is more spherical. You know, is more circular. I call it spherical, more three dimensional spherical. Right. So, the way that I think about it is. Um, all of these things, the past, present, and the future exist in one space and one time mm. in me, right? Um, but they're, they're above me, they're below me, they're adjacent on each side of me. It's 360 degrees. So the, the way that I think about, for example, um, I just made a mind map of all of my, my, my thoughts and my influences um, how do I think about this as time travel? And when I made that mind map, it showed me where my practice was going. Right. So going, why do we need this old history? Because that is our future. We don't have communities that I found like Greenwood, like the district of Greenwood a hundred years ago. Alvern, like you, you're the, the, the scholar, the, the master scholar on this subject matter. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to put out erroneous information, but we haven't had a community of the opulence and prominence of Greenwood maybe since Greenwood, right? Uh, Rosewood, I'm not sure if it was of the same caliber, you know, the same magnitude of, uh, you know, Rosewood, Florida I'm referring to, uh, or the move community in Philadelphia in the 80s, right? Um, That was destroyed, right? So here's the thing. Why do we need to go back and get our past? Maybe we need to consider why the military, the government, corporations always destroy our black, um, liberated black communities of agency. Why do we need to go back and get that history? Because they understand the power Mm -hmm. of liberated futures and what that means. Hey. All right, good show, everybody. No, <laughs> uh, Alvern, what do you what what's what's your take? Like, what this story, man? Um, I got this whole thing about how writers are time travelers. Why why do I say that? Because the thing that you wrote, somebody's gonna pick up in the future. There's that's time travel, right? Right. So. Congratulations on being a time traveler. Um, And Stacey, you as well. Like what you create today exists tomorrow, but it also exists now, right? But you're drawn from the past. That's in some ways, you know, that's Sankofa. And in a lot of ways, that's Ubuntu, right? Like this notion of I am because we are, right? It's that spherical notion that surrounds people. Can you talk a little bit about um, why you think that, like, man, this, this, (laughs) <laughs> what am I yeah. people say yeah, he's got to get these lessons yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Stacy said it in some ways if we don't know where uh, this is quote I used to I made up when I thought I was philosophical with, like at a young age as a kid it goes dreams are the essence of life without them we know not where to go and it's the idea of that is if we don't know our past how do we know our future and, and not only that but the idea of um, looking at it coming at it um, as a black man, as a black kid, and as a, you know, as a black writer, was this thing, um, I always find something new in history that, um, there's a book I'm working on now, and I don't want to talk about it too much, but um, when it's revealed, it's going to be like, wait, what? There were black people there doing what? And it's just one of those things that it, 
like history doesn't teach us that. And so the idea is when I found out, like even about Black Wall Street, it's like if I knew something like this existed, it changes my whole perspective of who I am. You can right. no longer tell me I come from, oh yeah, I came from Kings and then I was born into being into slavery. It's like, wait, so what, what, what goes after slavery? You're just existing. You know, when you really think about it goes from slavery to civil rights, 1960, anything in between that you did, black people did not exist. And it's like, wait, what? So we just magically vanished and then magically reappeared type of thing. Um, so for me, it's one of those things that specifically looking at black kids, if you give them a history about themselves other than, Hey, you were born a king and you were a slave. You give them other things that existed. You know, they started to look at their lives and go, wait. So I wasn't a slave. My, my family wasn't just slaves. We did other things. And then you started to change the narrative of what we can and can't be, you know, and, and more so what we can be. When, when kids, even years from now, even my son now, when he reads about Black Wall Street, he, the first thing he asked me was, where's, can we go to this place now? And then you have to realize, wow, we can't. But that doesn't mean we can't make that place again. We can't make that Wakanda. You know, that idea that, you know, and that, that's, even when you think about Wakanda, you're thinking, really, you're thinking Black Wall Street. Because Black Wall Street was the Wakanda, mm-hmm. you know, of its time. Um, and, and like Stacey said, I don't think any place has ever achieved what Black Wall Street achieved at, at that time. You know, where... The, the as we even talk about this in the book that the circulation of the dollar stayed in that community twenty three times. Twenty three times. In, 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 what place right now in the United States that you can say the circulation of a dollar stays within that community? You know, for more than more than three, four times, maybe five at the most mm-hmm. before it leaves. You know, but you even think about like black communities now. When you think about like okay, there's a community in Chicago called Rockwell, right? Used to be a lot of projects there, right? Soon as they started gentrifying. There was a Wendy's there. There was the biggest thing that they put in there was a grocery store. There hadn't been a grocery store there in 20-some years since I, since my cousins and everybody lived in that neighborhood. But all of a sudden, I drive through there and there's a grocery store now. There's all these new high-rise condos and stuff. And you look at that and you're going, wait, so y'all couldn't do this 20-some years ago? Why? You know? Mm-hmm. So the idea of telling a story like this is to uh, not only educate um, a lot of us are about what happened then, but also give hope to the future of showing yes. them here's a roadmap for how we get there. You know, let me just here. Here's I feel like a sommelier. I just got this like beautiful wine. I'm picking up notes of of Woodson, of Baldwin, of Malcolm, of 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 of, of all of these people who have said yes. This is this is what what it's about. Here's here's why this matters. Right, like car. Carter G. Woodson talks about this very thing about people needed to know their history because it's impossible to erase someone whose histories are known. You can't, right? Right? And so, like, y'all, I'm telling you, this book, this piece, <laughs> woo! I gotta there's tell a you, in the original, there's a thing in the original Alvarez cut about lift every voice and sing. Remember that, Stacy? <laughs> I'm trying to remember that. I'm trying to remember there's that. There's a whole like there's a whole play of that song. I, I think it's somewhere in the middle of the original cut. But I remember us. Uh, um, I remember having to go back and explain why lift their yeah. voices. Yeah. Was that's so right. That's, that's, it was like right. every black person. We know why it's important. But I had the. Yeah. But I, I understood it was somebody that didn't that didn't have the history and the understanding. But but when I explained, it was like, 
oh, okay, now I understand why it makes sense to the narrative of the story. Yeah, it was like, yeah. yeah, this this piece right here is going to take us. Yep. It was a very emotional piece. That, yeah, um, I remember that conversation. Me. Yeah, I do remember that conversation. So, you know, um, yeah, it's moments like you, you talk about Carter G. Wilson, and then, yeah, that, that, that moment of, you know, I think for me and Stacey and John, we, when we decided, um, and it's not to go off track, you know, talking about doing this book, that was the one thing we were like, it's, it's this experience that we know that we have to tell, you know, that we can't let anybody else tell. And I, I talked about this in another interview, but, uh, you know, when we were talking about being American, the first Native Americans that were here, those are the true Americans, you know, and, and that was something um, mm -hmm. I was very conscious of wanting to at least touch on and, 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 and being conscious of, I can't tell those people's story, you know, because yeah. I'm not of that tribe. I don't, you know, I wasn't, a I'm not a native American, but I'm, I'm praying that there's a native American listener that's going to go, you know what? I'm going to go tell that story now, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, I want to uh, I want to ask one, maybe two last questions, because I want to swing back to Stacy what you were talking about with with and we'll call it the work. Right. Is, is I think that folks tend to think about. The. The work as being some like. In the streets, like physically, right, like we're in, I, I often will tell my students, don't say what you would do during the civil rights movement because you're in it. Right. Don't yeah. tell me what you would do. Tell yeah. me what you are doing. Yeah. And it can look yeah. it can look different ways. And so when I hear you and, and when I hear you and Alvern talking about like, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm doing this. I'm 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 I'm, I'm at the I'm, I'm at the Bristol's or I'm at the I'm at the Procreate or I'm at the typewriter. That's you know, that's the work. Right. That's the work to me. As yeah. I see it, and mm -hmm. it is in the tradition of that. It's in the great civil rights tradition, and it's in the great comics tradition because that's the work that comics can do. When yeah. the, so, I, I don't. I, I think I'm, I don't know. Maybe I stole preemptively stole your thunder. But when I think about the work, can you talk about how comics? Are doing? You know, you, you picked out and you done this this specific medium. Mm -hmm. No, you had to do it this way. You could have done an illustrated text. You could have did, um, you know, I just, uh, I was, I, I was just gifted a Baldwin illustrated text, uh, go tell it on the mountain. And there's these beautiful plates, right? Just beautiful. Oh, just wow. wonderful. Okay, just I, I, uh, it, I mean, I, I'll show it, I'll show it to you. No one listening yeah. is going to be like, we're going to wait for this. They couldn't cut this in post. <laughs> well, I got a Baldwin series that I'm working on too. So, oh, y'all are killing my wallet. It's what are my bananas. kids supposed to eat? Oh my goodness! We have to live crazy. on love. This is terrible. Love yeah. and like kicks. Okay, no, but, 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 but let me but, talk about yeah. Let, talk about the talk, yeah. Talk yeah. about the medium and so, how the right, medium so can get out. us to that civil rights place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and and, and I'm going to talk about it kind of indirectly, but through, through my experience. So when when I moved back here, I was moving back here end of May, right? So back here meaning I was coming from Harvard, a residency at Harvard, right? Coming back to Central... As, as you do, as one does. As, yeah, as one does, <laughs> you know, yeah, because that is my life, right, right? <laughs> right. Yo, uh, but, but check this out, right? So literally, I'm driving across the country and the country is on fire. 
as I'm driving across it, right? When I get back here, because I'm, I'm kind of disconnected because I'm moving, right? I tur- I'm not on social media. I'm not watching the news. I'm focusing right. on the move, getting my apartment, et cetera. Um, and we, so we came like from Boston, you know, to central Illinois in like two, three days. And then, um, I, you know, we get here, we kind of like move in, I, you know, my son and I, we bring in like a blow up mattress. We go straight to sleep. It's 1130 at night when we moved in, right? May 31st. Um, Interestingly enough, like like kind of the, the May thirty first. That's when we moved in here. May thirty first is the centennial. This is telling in a particular way, right? Um, June. No, this is yeah. So I wake up the next day, and um, no, yeah, yeah. I move in June thirtieth. Let me be honest. Then thirty first is that first full day here. That's my first sunrise. May thirty first. I take a beautiful picture of my first sunrise here. Then I sit down and blow up mattress. And I'm like, let me see what's been going on in the world. The country's on fire. I'm feeling now, imagine mm. I just took a picture mm. of my beautiful lake view. Like, like my beautiful lake view, right? As I'm standing out on my, on my, uh, my, my back porch and I'm looking at this. And people, I'm feeling really pretentious now as black people are in the streets fighting for justice. And I'm like, I just took a picture of my lake view. Put some things in perspective in a really interesting way. And I'm like, well, okay. And then that day is when Champaign, Illinois exploded with protests, right? I got caught up in that kind of accidentally as I'm going out to get an internet cord so I can work. I need a cord to connect to the internet so I can get work done, right? I get caught up in a convoy of black protesters and vehicles disrupting traffic, but accidentally, right? This is feeling kind of odd to me. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to be doing in this moment? There are protests happening all over the world, right? And mm. let me tell you, like, as a praying person, mm. like, I, I, I just, like, I felt, you could call it God, universe, creator, spoke to me and said, don't worry, the struggle will let you know your place in it. I promise you, that's almost like a direct quote that I got in my spirit. Literally, that day, people were like, oh, Stacey, you're back in town? My, my Facebook was blowing up, email was blowing up. Phone started ringing. Oh, you're back in town. Stacy has a lot of work to do. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. This last summer, I hardly left the house. The desk that I'm sitting at right now is where I made that book. Yep. Um, I worked on a gallery project that was called Hashtag Black Matters, a 12-series billboard project through shouts out to SEPA Gallery in Buffalo, New York, that spoke to the time that um, of tw- the summer of 2020, right? Galleries were calling me. Dropbox paid me the most I ever got paid for a talk to date to talk about the work that yeah. I was making at yep. that moment. Yeah, the, all that was on. So you're talking about the work, right? That was the work. Like literally, I was at this desk, um, 
responding and saying yes to as much as I could. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anybody that wanted me to speak to their class, Mm -hmm. any gallery that reached out, any museum, library that reached out, podcast that reached out, I was trying to be on everything, Mm -hmm. any interview that I possibly could do, um, all of that. That was the work to to respond to what was happening in that time and to give it as much context as I could. Um, I don't even know if I answered your question, but that, that I feel like that was the work. And then that led into me, you know, teaching this semester where I chaired a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee and um, on a unit level, but then I'm part of the college of fine and applied arts level. And we're talking about all of this work, by, and changing the university, right? Like, how do we address this stuff at the university level? The community, don't, they don't see that, right? That is invisible right. to the community. Yep. But when you're a black, you know, you're, well, when you're an academic period, but when you're a black academic, my, I feel like the pressure that's on me is to be present at the university, working in the university, you know, and, and teaching students because my students will go out to work for Apple and Google yep. and all those things. But then I got to be present in the community because there's a call uh, for mm. the from the black community to be present there, mm. I feel like you know. So shout out to the comic heads who will understand this. Remember that uh, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, Green Arrow and Green Lantern panel, right? My favorite panel in comics, right? Where you have this black elderly gentleman, he's talking to Green Lantern. He's like, "Yo, you out in space doing this for the purple skins? You over here on this planet doing in this galaxy doing this for the orange skins?" What are you doing for the black skins? Mm-hmm. That panel spoke to me as a black academic, right? When you see the problem, you, I feel a call to address it. And I feel like I have to be ubiquitous. I have to be in all places at the same time. That's why, how I, that's why my, my thinking of time travel had to, be, had to be altered. I had to think about it differently, right? I feel like in a particular way, that's the work. That was a long answer, but Yo, I hope that gave it some, but some context. For those of y'all who were expecting to go to church on Sunday, I'd like you to just <laughs> adjust, your, adjust your schedules, please. Because well, that was. <laughs> 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 uh, ooh, I got my, my fan. Um, it's, it's wonderful, but, 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 that's, but that's the thing, right? Um, and Albert, I'll let you. I, I, I know y'all got other stuff to do. I appreciate you spending time. So. Um, you know, Alverna, as you were as as you were thinking about this in terms of the the the, the deeply uh, political, social, cultural, so, social justice, civil rights work that comics can do, um, is, is how did how how does comics for you make that possible? Um, and, and how is the and, and how would you how do you see this work fitting into that legacy? Because that's yeah, what it is. Uh, this is legacy work. I, and I'll say it for y'all because, you know, it oh, sounds no. different if you say it versus I say it. I won't jump the gun just yet. But um, it's weird how... Um, so I'm, I'm a black writer, you know, comics writer. And I remember I wrote this, I wrote this one book called Virgin Wolf. And it's about this this white female virgin, you know, um, werewolf hunter who turns out to be, you know, this part of this American true character of American history. And every time I would, I would be selling at a con, 
people would look at the book and look at me and go, but she's white. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And they're like, but you're black. And then, and then it became this thing like, wait, you wrote this, but then you went over here and wrote the sci-fi thing. Then you wrote this crime thing. And then it would be like, wait, you wrote all these things. And I'd be like, yeah, I wrote all these things. And then I would notice time after time, it was like people would pigeonhole me to like, oh, cause you're black. You have to write just this black story about these black people. And you have to do it in such a way that, um, for me, when I thought about writing this story, I'm like, I want to show the breadth of that black people. We're mm. not just the systematic one symbol thing. We're, you know, and this goes, I guess, back to that original idea of the Al Byrne cut of talking about, you know, that the black experience is more than just this one thing. And so when you talk about the work, um, I wrote this having COVID and like Stacy said, the world was on fire. And, um, for me, uh, coming into it, um, I came from a working class family in that idea and, and my original people were sharecroppers. And so for me, it became this thing of, um, when you talk about social justice and, and everything, there is a panel and a page of one nation shout out to jason reeves the creator artist. there is a panel in one nation number two um because it deals with um the rodney king um you know riots and incident but there's a panel in there that he drew in um of this kid who has skittles in his pocket and is wearing a a hoodie and that represents trayvon martin and but uh what i always tell people what's what's eerily weird about that panel is that the caption of that panel, I wrote two years before Trayvon was killed. Mm. And so it matches the art. And so I'm like, wow, I wrote this two years before Trayvon killed. What does that tell you and tell me, informs me that the thing that happened to Trayvon is still happening now, you know? And the thing I wrote two years before his death was happening even before then, the police brutality. And now it's just becoming more evident, you know? And so when you look at... um across the tracks everything that's happening across the tracks is happening was happening last year literally when mm-hmm. every community was up in that's flames right. Right. it was just you know it was just that that community again just like in the book crossed those tracks and was like no more you know we're, we're done you know that whole song we're not done gonna take it, it. You know? <laughs> man i was not expecting a twisted sister cut right okay, right. okay. okay. that's that's done. no i get you, hey, I get you. Which, which which i have on 45 i have that <laughs> everything on 45, on 45. <laughs> so um for me it, it's it's about you know, um, as a writer, and you talked about time travel, as writers, I think we're always looking at um, at, at social issues. Uh, Michael Connolly said it once, mm. great time writer, but he said um, when somebody asked him, you know, um, from, I'm paraphrasing, but somebody asked him about um, what makes a good crime writer or something to that extent, and he goes, the, what makes crime writing so evident or so special right now is that crime writing writers or in, in writing reflect society mm. reflect the now and mm. so um when writing comics what i try to do is that i don't try to like oh we got this issue and we need that you know it's just something it's reflected in the now like when you talk about greenwood or you talk about police brutality but you see that in black comics it's not that oh look we're gonna do this punisher you know um 
issue and it's going to reflect on, you know, um, you know, black, you know, brutality, police brutality or Superman is going to come and try to save, you know, whatever. And this black writer is going to talk about police brutality. It's no, it's, it's because that's the noun that we live mm. in. We're talking about the mm. thing that, that affects us now. Right. And, and so even when that's one of the things, and I, I'm going to just say it that I hate about comics in some ways is because as when you start getting into like the big two or, or even image and some of these other sure. publishers, and it's not to knock none of them because they're great in what they do for certain things. But as a black writer, why is it that the black writer always has to write about the black character? He can't write about any other character, but the black character, you know, and it's not to say that some white writer can't write about a black character, but as a writer, we should be open to the idea that I can write about a shared experience. You know, that shared experience of George Floyd having a knee on his neck wasn't just a black experience. Every person that felt has ever felt oppressed, every 1% person that's working a, 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 from paycheck to paycheck felt that knee on their neck. You know, it didn't have to do about race. That's why, that's why the, really the world went up in flames because when you look at it from a standpoint of us, of uh, economic standpoint, everybody felt that knee. Everybody's feeling that knee. And people were tired of feeling that knee on their neck, you know? Now, you have another side of that, which is the racist good old white boy that feels that that knee needs to stay there or that mm -hmm. they feel a knee on their neck because we're pushing back and, and lifting that knee up, you know? Um, but that's, that. yeah, I, I can go on a tangent for this one, but that's how <laughs> I, I like to, I just look at writing, like I said, I hear it, and when I see it, it just comes together for me in a, with beats i hear beats when i'm writing and that's what i heard i heard that beat uh, you know of um you know we're not going to take it anymore kind of thing it, i think one of the things that's really significant about what y'all both said is the thing that the the connective tissue is a search for an understanding of the depth and breadth of humanity and then also ensuring that that there's a breadth and there's a breadth and depth of voices that there's a breadth and depth of stories right so you connect with the story on a human level but it's also broadening right the kinds of stories the who's the what's the what kind of stories exist and how and and the ways in which they get out into the mainstream and, and by that i mean comics is hot right now because you know hollywood can sell some tickets and so that, I mean, that's just that that's the commercial aspect of it, but it gives us that moment. It creates that opportunity. It's the crack in the concrete that the flower can grow from. Right. So I love that you said I, I, I got a whole other podcast. We got to have you back on. It's like I hear beats like I, I got a whole thing on hip hop and comics. So stay tuned Ooh, for that one. Stay tuned yeah. for that one. Oh um, but but Stacey Robinson, Albert Ball, pick up across the tracks. Y'all. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to join uh, Comic School thank today. Y'all are the truth. Thank Appreciate you. everything y'all do. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much.